Welcome, welcome once again, everybody, to the movie, guys. Of course, if you remember, the great weekly slog of the movie, guys, showcast that we previously had has uh, has come and gone, but now we're bringing you exclusive content when we feel like it. And when you have the chance to talk to great movie lover Mark Borchert about his favorite movies of all time, you take that chance. And how often is he in Burbank? Not very. Mark, good to have you here. Hey, Paul, thank you for having me. It's a beautiful, um, if you're, well, whatever. It's a beautiful sunny day in, uh, out in Burbank, and we're blessed to be here. Do you get days like this in, in Milwaukee? Well, of course. You get hot, humid days, absolutely. But it's always the, humid, right? It's like the sticky kind of yeah, nasty. Yeah. Well, heat is overrated. Like I said, you know, you uh, gave your deepest apologies, and you cranked on the air conditioner and <laughs> done a great job, and I told my man Manny, hey, man, it's not like, at least we're not in a tank. So uh, it's all relative. This, the heat is overrated, man. You march through. If you've got actually a destiny in mind and you're for real and you're connected, man, you can withstand the heat. This is what I love about your last appearance. You come on and you spend 10 – I recommend this to anybody. Spend 10 minutes with Mark. It'll just make you feel great about your life. Well, that, that yeah. happened last time. We were sitting here. Everything we said, you had a way to just spin it into gold. I love that. Okay, well, but you have to also understand you have to deal with the premise after the dust settles, all the smoke and mirrors – have been taken away and you're left with yourself on the lonely stage, that's when you'll see if you're truly standing tall or not. Do you feel that that's where you are now? Or do you feel like you've been in that position in your life for some time now? Okay, after this interview, I'm going to take a time out. I'm going to write what I did today and felt today and also map out my continued destiny for my life. So it's always good to uh, take a breath. So that, that would be the strategy and you know, document what you've been doing. What, do you, what are you doing now? Days in, well, talking in to you. Uh, th- I saw a pinned tweet on your Twitter feed that said you're writing Coven 2. Right. True? Well, that's just to get uh, a bunch of stars, people to press stars on that mechanism. It is true. I've wrote, written a couple of pages. What I do is I write plays. Actually, ironically, I just had one uh, very, uh, I'm very fortunate to have accepted for the uh, Samuel French short series. They had over 80 submissions. Uh, mine got selected. I was pretty uh, happy about that, and that was actually this Saturday at the Samuel French here in uh, on Sunset Boulevard. So that was uh, performed, and then actually last month I had a uh, play accepted. Uh, they had many entries uh, at the Village Playhouse back in Milwaukee. Again, another great honor. It's just to have your writing accepted right off the bat among many other fine writers is is just a tremendous honor. Now. When you were on a show previously, and this is what I wanted to get to, I, I ask everyone who comes on the show, what is your favorite movie of all time? And people, most of the time, their answer is, ah, whoo, uh, ah, you know, because they can't come up with one. You rattled off a list. Mm-hmm. And I want to play that uh, brief moment right now. Bless your heart. Faces, Persona, Hour of the Wolf, Symbiopsychotaxoplasm, Take One, Strozik, uh, many well stuff like Othella, Macbeth, Chimes at Midnight, uh, Plansky Repulsion, Cul-de-Sac, Knife in the Water. Uh, I mean, it just can go on and on and on. I've heard of Repulsion. Let's let's start with Faces. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so that's a lot of movies. I want to unpack each and every one of them because I consider myself a movie lover. I feel like I've seen a lot of films, and I haven't seen many on this list. So this is where you educate me, get me excited, and the listeners to see all of these films. The first one you mentioned is Faces. Correct. That's uh, John Cassavetes. That's my. Uh, that's the film from Cassavetes I hold in the highest regard. Uh, others being Shadows, 
a woman under the influence and especially opening night from 77 faces is an incredible film uh, along the lines uh, the tonality of who's afraid of virginia wolf but with a uh, deeper texture as to the goings-on between these couples and so on and so forth so cassavetti's faces if one was to say that's the greatest film ever made i would have no argument with that among many others i mean i think casablanca for a hollywood film is uh can be considered the greatest film ever. there's no such thing as the greatest but it can be considered among that i just uh, i've seen casablanca throughout my life so i just had uh, another opportunity at the oriental theater to see it up on the big screen a few weeks ago for their 90th anniversary and but back to faces yeah that's that's an incredible film and i think one of um, it was. It's probably one of the only films where I. Re- I just actually saw like a 16 or 35 millimeter print of it at the theater, and I was riveted from beginning to end. And that doesn't happen with film for me at all. But I will say to see those people living their lives in those terms, telling jokes, laughing, as real people do, not as film people do. It, it was an incredible journey. So faces is. My favorite Cassavetes film, and uh, secondly, would be Opening Night because it deals with the theater. Now, this is it. Is it? You say there's people laughing and having fun, but when I read the plot for Faces, uh, again, he, he he worked with Jenna Rollins mm-hmm. a number of times, and this is another it's one of his great nominees. Exactly. Uh, two people leave each other for younger people. Mm-hmm. I guess a man leaves his wife for a younger woman, then finds out that the the wife, then the ex-wife, goes on to have an, uh, to to get with a younger man. Right. But throughout this, you say there's laughs and there's fun because it sounds like pretty heavy from the... Uh, or is well, the, or does as a great film always find that sort of balance? My man, have you ever been on a used car lot? They'll tell you anything to get the sign on a dotted line. <laughs> yeah. So these synopsises always are from particular vantage points to elicit particular responses. So when you yourself see a film, you might be seeing something completely that is absolutely not allied with the synopsis at hand, like a... You just did, which is factually true, but that doesn't expose the texture that the film actually does provide. IMDb, that's what they said. Which sometimes I, I don't know to use the internet. I don't use the internet, so you're speaking Greek to me. But <laughs> all right, well, there are three Oscar nominations, so put faces in the top of your list to see. I'm going to, so I can get out of movie jail. We have a thing called movie jail. Okay, it's the movie you haven't seen by now, but you should have. Okay. Your, your whole list is a list of movie jail for me, and oh I feel my. like I need to be locked up under the jail. Yeah, and then you'll be able to see those. Do you have one? The movie you should have seen by now, but you just haven't? Oh, no, I don't. You know, okay. Here, and here, I know you're gonna, My man. <laughs> here, here's the deal. Yes. Here's the deal. What is the deal? Um, at a certain point, you, you don't get into those pretenses of what you have to see. Because if I would say, you know, it would just freak people out. I just focus on what I need to focus on and got beyond that point. I do understand your premise, and I understand that People on a very basic level are very curious about other people, and uh, a premise like you have presented elicits that kind of curiosity. I understand that, and <laughs> that was a hell of a way to say something pretty <laughs> simple. But, <laughs> but uh, or or is it a dodge, Mark? Is there or is there a movie you're embarrassed that you haven't seen? You've seen 2001, or you've seen I've seen all of Kubrick's. I've all seen all stuff. of Kubrick's films and contemporary films. They don't, uh, it, you know, Shawshank Redemp- Re- uh, Redemption is is a very um, it's a very popular film. I have happened to have seen it. Um, I didn't feel that I, sh- I could care less whether I've seen it or not, but I do have a dear friend, and it's his favorite film, Mr. Tom Pankowski. So in your honor, we will talk about 
uh, the fact that the Shawshank Redemption exists. It's a good film, and in Tom and Your Honor, we have spoken about it. You do, and I'm gonna, uh, this is a bit of spoiler going ahead to what your films are, but I don't think there's one that was made after 1970. Is oh, really? There, is, there, is there... Well, Strozik is, 76. Strozik, 76? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's jump to Strozik. Uh, Werner Herzog. Um, big fan of his? Yeah, of his work, absolutely. I've, I've, uh, I've seen maybe half his films. He's made probably around 60 or so, 60, I, 70, something like that. I've seen about half. It's like being a fan of... Prince, the musicians. Mm-hmm. Like you can't see everything. These guys get so right. prolific after a while. This is too much. Yeah, yeah. Herzog certainly in that in that in that vein. Yeah. In Berlin, an alcoholic man recently dis- released from prison joins his elderly friend and a prostitute in a determined dream to leave Germany and seek a better life in Wisconsin. Yeah. Wisconsin. So there you go, the old home state. Did that speak to you? Oh, of course. It it uh, Strozik is magical as a film itself in that they. Uh, Head to Wisconsin is is just it's just actually incredible. Uh, it's a film that has a sense of to use a cliche a dreamlike quality once they get into Wisconsin with the truck stop diner, the foggy roads, you know, the barren landscape, the sale of the uh, trailer, and the mo- one of the most sometimes films exist in seconds, and when. They cut to the interior shot of the mobile home trailer and those first few bass notes of the Glenn Campbell song kick in. It brings one to the promised land for those few seconds. You ever cried at a movie? Uh, I would say that if I was to experience something like that, that actually kind of, that actually, those few seconds stunned me. I don't know if I had time to weep, but they they stunned me in that in that ideological sense that would bring one to that state. But I think you could, you could put on Field of Dreams, and just uh, the last five you minutes. You could, I, yes, for me. And I don't even need to see the previous hour and forty five minutes. You put on the last five, I start crying. Well, there you go. I mean, see, you're <laughs> a man. You're standing tall and telling it like it is. There you go. Uh, where growing up in Milwaukee, you mentioned the Oriental Theater. Is that one in Milwaukee? Correct. Now, does that was that the place for you to go? Is it the only place to see some of these great films? Dude, these dude, are old my, films. My, my man, my or man. Or did you just do a lot of VHS? M- Milwaukee is a huge city where the Oriental is. There's three art house cinemas right there, the Downer, the Oriental, the Union. So if, if you're into uh, films and that, uh, Milwaukee's the place to be. It's, it's a huge art city. Huge art city. So um, I could see whatever. But I, I, I came to film through books, through still photographs, because I, I don't get into sitting in front of a screen. That just ain't going to happen ever. Uh, so I never, I, and when I was growing up in my formative years, I was more, I was always into adult films like Absence of Malice, The Verdict, and stuff like that. So I didn't have a, uh, a, a you know, a phase before adulthood, really. So I was always just thinking seriously. So, so did I. You felt like you were older than the, the, your peers around you? Like in your mindset, yeah, oh yeah, oh, I, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, and and I still do because the, the adulthood it's it's a it's a mixed bag, and because when you're a, you're a kid and you're looking up at these big people who are omniscient and all powerful, and then you become an adult, and some people truly enjoy being adults, and I even as a kid I enjoy that idea of mental maturity. Now you got to watch what you say because that can all of that stuff can be brought down or misconstrued, so you got to. Be careful how you tread with that stuff. And even in the adult world, adult 
to adult, you kind of have to watch being an adult because some people are really actually into kids and, you know, their, their big thing in life is, believe it or not, in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, their, their ongoing theme is that they have a job and they're not living at their parents. And I'm like, man, you're 60 years old and, and this is... This is this is it. That that that's your theme is that you have a your job and you're not like, five. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, you know, and it's so it's it's like that is their theme, and and you ac- actually have people that are probably in the, maybe live with their parents or don't even have a job who are are m- become the third parent and who are far more mature and adult than someone who is uh, uh, is an adult by having a job and and living on their own or this and that because their themes are different. So. Even in adulthood, and then and then also you have people like yourself are very focused, and the majority of people are not. It's just kind of like chaos, as the Amish would say. They are of the world. They are the English, and you know the Amish stay away from them because it's all Mickey Mouse and monkey business, and that's what's going to end up destroying you, man. I mean, if if you so choose, so to walk the straight and narrow. That's always been if you so choose. Uh, let's go by um, directors here, because there are some films in in your list that were uh, two or three by the same director. But let's go for this one. William Greaves. Yeah. Symbiopsychotaxoplasm Take One. You threw that title past us, and I went, what is that? And I looked it up. Um, it's a documentary. Mm-hmm. And, and it, for, from what it seems like, it's, it's trying to be a documentary about a documentary. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where the word try comes in because things simply exist. Uh, maybe you're trying to break the four-minute mile, and that could be quantitative as being highly um, objective, either it's, it happens or it doesn't, uh, these guys succeed in this film. Symbiopsychotaxoplasm Take One is one of the great films about um, filmmaking. It takes place in the late 60s in Central Park. It's in color. It's in 16 millimeter. When I saw it for that first time, I couldn't even believe a film so intellectual, so full of life could even exist and in this milieu of populism that uh, the general collective is bombarded with and it's it's about film intellectualism and there's actually some scenes where the collective kind of in a mutinous consideration against the director discuss the properties of the film that they're making and what the actual purposes of it are and so on and so forth and those are the dudes that I would have loved mm-hmm. to hang out with, man, who are actually just in the stratus, upper stratus, stratospheres of their minds. So, yeah, symbiopsychotaxoplasm, take one, man. That that, And also we can move ahead to the American dreamer, Dennis Hopper, um, the, the, uh, where they did a uh, black-and-white 60-millimeter documentary of Dennis Hopper in his Taos, New Mexico compound editing the last movie and... No scrubs are allowed to see the last movie. Only people who love film and who know and understand that life is for living is allowed to see The American Dreamer with Dennis Hopper. And it's made by uh, uh, L.M. Kit Carson, who did uh, another great foray into the experimental scene, David Holzman's Diary. Oh, yeah, I looked that one up, too, because you had referenced that on the last show. Uh, which I hadn't seen. These movies you're, you're creating, which is great, a big batch of movies for people to go and see. My man, have you seen uh, Norman Mailer's Maidstone? No. Well, dude, it's Norman, obviously the author, Naked and the Dead, Armies of the Night, etc., etc. I know that he's made at least four features, and that's one of them, and it's a great exploration of his world, his milieu, his thinking 
uh, politically, cinematically, etc., etc., etc. So if you're into into again this fuller spectrum of life, please see Norman Mailer's Maidstone. You, there was a symbiopsychotaxoplasm take two. Correct. In 2005. And that's a big leap because the first one came out in the 60s, right? Or 70s? It, well, it came out in the early 70s. 70s. It was filmed in the late 60s. So, I mean, years later, he returns to this uh, same situation. He brings the same actors in to have, to, to have, and this is what is described in the, and tell me if I'm wrong about this. He's seeking the ever elusive symbiopsychotaxoplasmic moment. What is that? Is, yeah. does, does that come across in the film? Yeah, it does. Well, it's, it's, I've seen that film. I think I've actually seen it twice. I'm, I may have even seen Symbiopsychotaxoplasm take, I think it's two and a half um, in the theater. And that's, yeah, where he goes back to that. Oh, it is two and a half. Yeah, it jumps from one half? to two and a half. Okay, well, there you <laughs> go, yeah. Well, like Fellini's eight and a half. It was, a, it was his eight and a half uh, effort. Um, so... Yeah, it, he goes. He go. I mean, you can symbio. Obviously, symbiosis. You know the um, way things conduct themselves uh, as they intermingle. You know, uh, it's, it's symbiotic. It's symbiosis and psycho, the mind, and so on and so forth. And taxoplasm. I'm not sure exactly what that term. I mean, it's all. I mean, anyone could figure that out, find that out. But anyway, yeah, he's exploring the symbiotic nature of cinema in life. So. Basically, that's that. Yeah, I can imagine it takes a couple of movies to do that. <laughs> Could. Uh, let's go to Bergman. You have both Persona and Hour of the Wolf on your yeah. uh, list. And, and not to be digressive, but there's also scenes of uh, from a marriage. There's also... Um, the Seventh Seal. Yeah, and The Passion of Anna. The Seventh Seal is obvious. That's from 56. That's a great film. That's the, that's the really first time Bergman has that immaculate impact that... Where the whole of the film is representative of the Bergman idea, and not just fractured elements and so on and so forth. Obviously, the Seventh, seventh Seal is seminal in his in his oeuvre as a art European art filmmaker. Um, but to move on to um, Hour of the Wolf and Persona, with Persona, and I, I'm not sure. I know they say it's 66, but I think maybe on the print, it, the copyright's actually 65 on Persona. You'd have to go back and, and, and watch the end of it. But, yeah, Persona, and then followed by Hour of the Wolf, is the epitome of the Bergman aesthetic, the epitome of European art house cinema. And I know that's a very reductive, simplistic term, but nonetheless, it's used for a reason. Hour of the Wolf and Persona, both contain some of the most haunting, aesthetically dreamlike, or psychologically impactful images in cinema, and he really hits home runs with those. Those are those are actually those are obviously works of uh, high cinematic art. And scenes from a marriage shot on sixteen millimeter. The the second that film starts, when the couple cuts on action as she sits down on the couch. For an interview, I freaked out. I said, oh, man, I wish I would have figured that out to start a film on action as she sits down on the couch to start the interview. I was just, like, blown away. And then when they're with their another couple at a dining room table drinking and talking, I'm like, oh, man, I, I can't even believe this is happening, man. So when people talk to films about me, I don't, I don't to me, I don't, I don't listen. I, I have no time for that kind of crap. 
uh, because I've got stuff, like I say, scenes from a marriage rolling in my head, and that's all that needs to happen, man. And the other stuff, just mind pollution. And Liv Ullman. Uh, Lee Ullman was his muse as well, just like Roland Stig Oh, dude, of, of course, of course. And actually, she's got a um, couple great memoirs. They're breezy memoirs, um, uh, Choices, and I think the other one is Changes. So I've read the first one. Well, I've got both of them. And actually, I've read, if, okay, Lee Ullman's got a couple great memoirs, Choices and Changes. Check those out. They're, they're really neat. Um, early 70s, her experiences in the uh, film world, Lee Woolman. But Bergman has, uh, among, well, I think one's like the Magic Lantern, his memoir biography, but he has actually a memoir notebook of his filmmaking career uh, called Images. It's a handsome volume. If you're into Bergman, you got to check out Images, his journal of making films. Man, it's on the money. Orson Welles. Oh, yeah, yeah, now, yeah. Now, you mentioned Orson Welles movies, but uh, in, there, in that clip I played, you didn't mention Citizen Kane. You moved right to Othello, Macbeth, and Chimes of Midnight. Yeah, well, well those are, that's his, uh, his um, triptych of uh, Shakespeare interpretations, Othello, Macbeth, and Chimes at Midnight. Actually, <coughs> Chimes at Midnight, that's uh, from 66. 66 is actually one of the... 66 is the great year of the emergence of the idea of art film that it actually galvanizes in that year and I uh, every in America we have Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in Russia we have Wings one of the beautiful beautiful films it's about a middle-aged woman who was a fighter pilot but now you know has been relegated to the domestic realm and her daughter doesn't think she's hip if you haven't seen Wings, man, and you're into, into life and cinema, 66, check out Wings, definitely. And we've got, uh, obviously, John Frankenheimer's uh, 66 offering Seconds. So in America, we have Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on the domestic front. We have Seconds on the psychological thriller front that bring art to the American screens. Um, Wells comes out in 66 with Chimes at Midnight. Um, Soviets, obviously, with Wings. There's other offerings, too, in that year. But 66 is really that year. And back to Wells, my man was concerned why we didn't bring up Citizen Kane. It's, it's such an obvious yeah. um, thing. I mean, why not talk about um, F for Fake, one of the most beautiful documentaries ever made with his muse and uh, colleague, Oya Kadar. Just a stunning film, his last effort, F for Fake, from Orson Welles. And, you know, we bypassed the trial, a great interpretation. Touch of, of evil. Uh, touch of evil, absolutely. Marlena Dietrich, um, one of the great war films. And actually, this supersedes kind of the end of the Noir era, which happens in 55 with Kiss Me Deadly, when in um, 41, we kind of begin with John Huston in the Maltese Falcon, where... Uh, and and uh, sorry for my crumbling memory, but where they seek the Maltese falcon, the bird, and so on and so forth. And so that's 41 with the noir experiment. And we end in 55 decidedly with Kiss Me Deadly, where they're searching, I think, for the great what's-it. And that great what's-it is the very defining end of paranoia with the Cold War, with the atomic blast. We can, that's, they open, I mean, Quentin Tarantino uses this. Uh, Spielberg uses this when they open up the briefcase or whatever, and it's all aglow. Well, that's from Kiss Me Deadly. That's from 55. So noir we can take from 
I mean, again, this is rump re reductive and very simplistic think thinking, but we can go from the Maltese Falcon to Kiss Me Deadly. We can talk about those 14 years as the epicenter of the uh, noir idea. So, but anyway, yeah, so the reason why we broke, we, 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 we began in that track is because of uh, Wells' Touch of Evil, which decidedly falls into that noir template, but that's 58. And uh, obviously there's really no more noir after that because we then move on to color and Touch of Evil is, is great black and white. Um, Did you like the Magnificent Ambersons? Yeah, Magnificent Ambersons. Actually, I have that on uh, VHS. And here's the, the thing about that is that, well, if they wouldn't have cut it down, it would have been the greatest film ever. And, and when I think about the Magnificent Ambersons, I'm saying, you know what, I could care less what they did with that because it's not a good film. People are like, what? what? What is this guy talking about? You're looking at the material that's presented. It's very stagey. It does not have the impact of Citizen Kane. Uh, yeah, the dance sequences, if they would go on and indulge that, that would be great. I've never been a fan of Magnificent Ambersons. Uh, Ambersons uh, was one of those movies I saw when I was too young. Like, I really got into film early, and I was like, I need to see all these great movies. Then they all went over my head. Ambersons. Okay. Chinatown went over my head. Okay. Network went over my head. Okay, you know, and now we go. And now I'm going back and revisiting them all. First of all, Chinatown. Read the script. 145 pages. You can get it off the streets of Brooklyn. They'll put a copy in your hand. You give them the dough. They'll put a copy in your hands. Chinatown. One of the most beautiful scripts ever written. Polanski. After that, he does. He does the Tenant. Before that, he's done Macbeth and that very obscure one. What with Marcello Mastriani. Um, then my man brings up. Network, which is 76. That was one of the best pictures of that year. Five were nominated. Rocky wins. We have All the President's Men, uh, Bound for Glory, Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver takes can in that year, you know, for the Palm Door. So you, you mentioned a great year that Network falls into 76. Um, then what was your third thing besides Network, Chinatown, and what oh, was the third uh, thing? What did I say? I don't know. I That's don't know. what I'm Everything trying to get. Ambersons, I think, was the third thing. Just the, the magnificent Ambersons just seemed to go over my mm, head as well. I think, man, we, we, were, we were dealing with something else. Did I mention something else? I, I don't possible? know. Yeah, because we had covered Ambersons. Uh, well, only now the listener will remember, and, and we won't. The Tenant, though. I watched The Tenant yeah. at that age, and it just kind of went... Oh, really? Yeah, I need to see that again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen all of Polanski's films, actually. And you have three of them on your list. Yeah. Uh, Repulsion, Cul-de-Sac, mm. and Knife in the Water. Right. Uh, first of all, uh, Cul-de-sac stars Donald Pleasance. Yeah, not enough movies starred Donald Pleasance for the record. Escape from New York did. Yeah, but that then Halloween and then like Prince of Darkness, but there needed to be more Donald Pleasance. Well, movies. you need to contact his agent. <laughs> well, he's dead. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, just uh, I would like to have seen that because he's he was an interesting dude. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I didn't know the dude, so I wouldn't know. But at, on screen, he had presence. Um. Polanski, I love the fact of Carnage, which is based on Yasmina Reza's play God of Carnage. It's a parlor drama. It uh, takes place in an um, apartment in New York City, and I just have a kick watching Carnage because I love theater, and this is a cinematic interpretation of a theatrical piece, very finite in its composition because it takes place in only one interior. Carnage, I, I really dig. Then we... He offers us After Carnage, Venus and Fur, based on a play by David Ives, which I just again recently revisited. Excellent play. And, uh, yeah, I've seen all of Plansky's 
theatrical features from his, well, his latest one, we can't see yet. It's, it's not out available to us, but from uh, Knife in the Water to Venus and Fur. Yeah, so all of those have been seen. All of the Wells films have been seen that are available. Obviously, the other side of the wind and the deep is our in vaults, so those don't count in the uh, public oeuvre um, or the canon and all of Kubrick's 13 films, etc. So, Well, there you have it. Mark Borchert's favorite movies of all time. A basic, basically, what you provided people with here is a to-do list. If they so choose, man, and you got to do what you got to do. I mean, Charles Manson said that. I don't mean it like that, but uh, <laughs> but uh, true. But, but, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, not like that, let's right? Just go for the record. It's not like Charles Manson, exactly. Yeah. But um, and and Gene Moreau. Am I pronouncing that correctly? John Moreau. Yeah, I knew I'd get it wrong. Another great European actress who was in Chimes a bit nice. She just left us recently. Yeah, bless her heart. Away. Bless her heart. So did George Romero, Night of Living Dead, Jack White, or I should say, Season of the Witch, The Crazies. Um, now, are you tail-ending this show, or are you trying to wrap this up? I was. Okay. Good you have luck. Any, you have any, you have any uh, final statements on these great movies or other ones people should say? Oh, just bless uh, George Ramirez's heart. Uh, thank you right. for having us, definitely. And um, it's, it's always great to be alive. Just say no so you can say yes to yourself. I, what did I say at the beginning? He makes you feel good. Mark Borcher, thanks so much for coming by. And uh, I'll put this list online. People get to it, if you so choose, and enjoy the movies. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.